0: Hey, everybody, on the run with Beards and Dunn back again. Beards, two weeks in a row, you've made it for the podcast. Oh. <laughs> I'm so excited. How, how, how about are
1: you, that? How, how a, are I'm, you doing? How are you feeling? I'm, I'm on a roll. Well, pretty good, Dunn. I, uh, I went to my orthopedic uh, surgeon on Wednesday, and they took off all the bandage, and he likes how it's healing, and they put that same thing, back bandage on there that kind of sucks all the bad stuff out of there for at least another week. And now as soon as we're done recording our podcast, I'm heading to see the infectious disease doctor. And hopefully this pick line I got in my arm still will be able to take out and I won't have to give myself any more of those heavy duty IV antibiotics anymore. So we'll see.
0: So for anybody who has hasn't been listening to these episodes, Dick's left knee is it? Yes. It's been replaced twice. So he's got hardware in there. And somehow or another, it's a nasty infection called M- MRSA. It's a it's resistant to antibiotics, so you really don't want it. But Beard's got it <laughs> in his knee, and so he's hopefully getting on the mend. And it sounds like things are kind of turned around, heading in the right direction. Yeah. So you're, uh,
1: you're still fishing. Uh- done <laughs> so the day i got out of the hospital the next day i've been on the water guiding every single day so. i see your i see your
0: fishing posts on facebook and stuff i always i know
1: you're doing good because you, you look like you're having a good time oh yeah and the, the uh i can't believe done i can't believe now we're on the back side of august already i know i know unreal over yeah the, the summers just flew by like oh, they do crazy I wish winter flew by quite as fast as summer does. <laughs> oh, don't. Listen, oh, buddy. Sorry. We're in Newfer, I know that's a, North Carolina. A, I wish the winter would fly by. <laughs> Come up here to Bemidji where it's 40 below for five weeks in <laughs> hey, a we row. We get down
0: to 40 degrees and it's just nasty <laughs> up here. It's nasty. Oh, that's funny. So, okay, let's kind of catch up. You know, it's been fun, yeah. Beards. I can't believe it. All, when we talk about our running careers, yeah, you'd like to think, well, we could knock that out in about half hour, 45 minutes, but <laughs> we haven't even got to 1982 yet. And that's no. kind of a banner year, and I think most people know why. And so we, our podcasts up to now have kind of led us up through in 1981, which it was just off the charts. You, you know, I ran my PR in early 81 for the marathon and 10 miles and what have you. Unfortunately, I got injured, which is kind right. of the story of a lot of runners' lives. And you, though, were on the roll of just setting PR after PR after, and you, you ran 209 at grandma's and then you went and and uh, you got a pretty good payday and went to Stockholm <laughs> right. and ran uh, with Bill Rogers, finished second. And then uh, you had, to, uh, I, I hate to call it an accident, but these dogs right. knocked you to the ground, injured your low back and, and didn't take you out of running, but definitely didn't help your running. Uh, you had to miss a marathon that fall. You tried right. racing a little bit. I think you mentioned the 25 K that you didn't, Run real well at and right, and then you kind of put the put the the clamps on 1981 and said that's it. I need to take a little recovery.
1: Yeah, I would call it that. You know, instead of running a you know 130 140 miles a week, I was probably running like 90 to 100 or something like that. Piece of cake for for <laughs> yeah. you.
0: So this is now the fall, like we're talking November into yes. December, and so the weather in Minnesota, Rush City, it's got to start snowing
1: up there oh for sure and it snow came early that year and we got a lot of it but but i always liked training in the winter time for a couple reasons i just i like that and the cold never bothered me but what it what it enabled me to do so basically done i would I, i took the last part of november all of december january and all of february and i just put on the miles no and, no, no speed work no i didn't never the only time i would do anything like that is once a week i would try to find a, a dry part of a, a a road i was running on and i would do some fart lick once a week just to keep my legs turned over you sure. know and kind of but otherwise i was just putting on a lot of long steady miles uh if the if the roads were a little bit better, I might do a little bit of, you know, light fartlek other than the one day I for sure pick out. But it just got me really, really strong. And then once the weather broke or when I went down south to train for a bit, um, my body was able to handle the hard, fast stuff again.
0: That's what that's what I kind of, I, I got to admit, Beards, as far as here in my relationship, when I when I've kind of fell off with injuries and I was working at Ath- Athletic Attic and uh, the fall of 81, I actually coached the Augustana cross country team that fall. I don't remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the athletic director, and I his name escapes me right now. He I was working over at an athletic attic and I I knew him and he knew me from when I sure. ran for South Dakota State and stuff, and they were kind of between a rock and a hard place. Whoever had been coaching their cross country team would had left or whatever. And and I remember he approached me and he said, Mike, we got you know, to stay in the North Central Conference, we have to be able to a field like eight sports. Right. That's the requirement to be in the conference. So they, they had to have a cross country team to be one of the sports. They didn't really recruit for cross country at all. Everybody (laughs) was pretty much a walk on. They had one decent kid. His name was Scott Peterson. And Scott was a, a really outstanding high school runner at Brandon Valley High School and was coached by Lyle Claus and a real good. Oh, of yeah. Him. And he had elected to go to Augustana, I think more for the academics. It was sure. A really great, really strong school for that. And, and also he loved running and running in the North Central Conference. So Scott was going to be a freshman on the team that year. And then I inherited like four or five guys that were just loved running. They just loved running. And I remember they paid me 500 bucks. No kidding. Yeah, it was big money, big money, and so I just did it, and I said, "Well, I can do it." But I, you know, I was used to a coach like Jay Dirksen and Scott Underwood that was there every day, right? You know, workouts and week, and they he said, "Well, it's really you can do your own schedule." I said, "Well, I'll, I'll meet with the guys three days a week, kind of their harder days, and then the days in between, they're just going to do recovery runs or whatever." Sure. And these guys, you know, bless their hearts. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they did any recovery runs, to be honest with you, and, and morning runs. I think I might have suggested it. And I don't know if anybody of them ever did it, but we we actually did have a, a cross country team and and took them to some meets, and it was a lot of fun. But I know you were, you know, you were kind of off. I don't remember us really communicating a heck of a lot. I, I know that you and I hooked up when uh, um, they had the the national meet. I think it was in St. Cloud. And you and I went up there to watch. It was during a blizzard. Yeah. And you were out there. And I remember we had parkas on and, uh, I didn't have any athletes that made it to the division Two. uh, we, our team didn't, you know, have a, a chance. Right. And, um, and I remember meeting up with you then. And so I, I don't really recall, you know, a lot of the timelines, but somehow or another you and coach Bill Squires, when did Boston, you know, what I know you ran Houston because you ran January of 81. You finished second to Rogers at Houston. Yep. And I remember you were, you were going to go back to Houston in early 82. Yes. And, and how did that all, you know, what was between, let's say, December to Houston Marathon in early 82?
1: Yeah. So just getting ready for Boston. So Coach Choirs and I had decided probably late summer of 81 that – we would, um, we would run Boston. I, I would run Boston, but he didn't, we, you know, I didn't really t- say much to anybody nor, and coach choir didn't either until about the, you know, about the December 1st, I think I kind of sp- started spilling the beans and about, I was going to run Boston. And so literally then done every run, every race I ran, it was all about getting ready for Boston in 1982. So again, all December I'm putting on, you know, a lot of, a lot of high miles. Um, I go down. Let's see. I run Houston in January, and I was the bridesmaid once again, two years in a row, and this time. I uh, Benji Durden, and for those of you who don't know who Benji Benji was a you know top notch runner made the eighty Olympic team even though it was boycotted and and uh, I raced he Benji two oh
0: nine I know eventually yeah in yeah in
1: nineteen eighty three when you ran yeah, two eighteen yeah.
0: nothing to be and ashamed about getting beat by Benji but Durden no oh.
1: so uh, I uh, I ran Houston finished second to Benji came back and then around the first of February um, Coach Guires says Dickie. We got to get you somewhere where there's a lot of hills because you know where i live around here in minnesota it's just not very hilly so coach coach calls up he goes you know atlanta's got a lot of ups and downs and stuff and i don't know if that i'd ever even been to atlanta at that point in my life and so he called the atlanta track club president it's a huge you know track club down there and he and he says hey you guys Got anybody that could host one of my athletes for two, three months, and blah, blah, blah. Well, a guy named Mike D'Imperio, he was a bachelor at the time, had a two-room condo, you know, just outside of downtown, and and so I flew down there, did, never met the guy in my life. He picked me up at the airport, and uh, yeah, I stayed at his condo, and in fact, we became such good friends, I actually was in his wedding a few years uh, later and he, stuff. He's a Mike.
0: What? what are you-
1: yeah, <laughs> so I moved down there, um, and stayed there, and, and and Mary was coming back and forth. I think she was down there most of the time, but she, she kind of went back and forth um, between there and, and back in Minnesota. Well, I'm out running one day, and when I first got there, and I run into this, I see this guy running on the road. I thought, gosh, the guy looks fit, and we were going, you know. I was going one way, he was going the other. And I can't remember who, if, if it was Dean or me that turned around. But anyhow, we stopped and and he told me who he was. And, of course, I'd known of Dean. He was like a 215 marathoner right. at the time. Dean Matthews. Dean Matthews. And Dean lived just down the hill from Mike Deperio in some apartments. So, oh, we started training together like we'd probably run together about three, at least three times a week. And that was really beneficial, you know? Well, he could um, he could kind of match up with you, couldn't he? Oh, for sure. Yeah, oh, right. yeah. And, you know, the, the few times that Coach would have me go to the track, and there was this private school, but they had a, a track that was open to the public that was like a mile from where where I was staying. And so a lot of times Coach would have us do – a particular type of workout, and then he we'd finish on the track, and he'd want us to time a fast last mile, you know, on a track. So Dean and I, it, and Dean, Dean was basically following my workouts that Coach Squires was giving me. Well, I was wondering, did Dean have a coach, or he was self coached? Yeah, he was just self coached, and uh, but but then kind of Coach Squires took him under his wings, and then Dean decided, well, heck, I'm going to run Boston too, so. Now we both had the same goal. We were, you know, both going to Boston. Your workouts kind of could parallel each
0: other. Yeah,
1: you know, and and I tell you, done down in Atlanta, it was a perfect place to go train to get ready for Boston because you're either going up a hill or you're going down a hill, and one day a week, um, where I was staying was real close to this the a park at the Chattahoochee River, and I could run. Um, two miles one way and turn around two miles back, but it was nice and flat. So once a week, I would do one of my runs on that flat area just to kind of give my legs a little bit of a <laughs>
0: off the hills of a rest. <laughs> give off the hills.
1: So, so, so done. February and March, because the Boston's Fe- going to be April. It's April nineteenth. Okay. Yeah. So I'm down there for about two and a half months. So I'm down there, and I thought, okay, I need to do something else to just. You know toughen me up a little bit so after I've been down there for a few days I remember after my second workout of the day done I would take my fists and pound my quads upwards of over a thousand times a day as hard as I could I'm thinking okay I know nobody else is doing this. And I'm thinking, well, it's got to toughen them up a little <laughs> bit. <to laughs> I, get, I haven't seen any research on that one. <laughs> <laughs> to get to, to, to handle those downhills. And whether it did or not, in my mind, I thought it was working, you know. And then, you know, Dan, I don't know if you remember this, but I always in the evening after my workouts, you know, usually by myself, I just like this alone time. I'd go out for a little half hour walk or something. Always, You
0: did always. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so... I'm. I started doing that down there at this condo, and there was this little trail that led in through this woods that I kind of walked on. One of the first times I'm walking on it, I stumbled, and this rock kind of, kind of turned over, and I, I, I walked back, and it was this perfectly, almost perfectly round rock, and I don't know if my foot caused it or what, but there was this V like that was that was not part of the rock so it, when you it was a round rock and it looked like there was a v in there so every day and in my goofy mind i'm thinking v that means victory every day on my walk i'd stop at that rock and put my left foot in the v my left toe you know in front of my sh- <laughs> shoe the in the v yeah. and my right foot <laughs> In front of the V. It was just...
0: So, it kind of well, reminds me of the 209 mile marker. Right. The, the 902 hotel Oh, room, yeah. And, so, you're looking well, that, for those positive affirmations. Well, and... Keeping your mind you know, in a positive direction.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I, I just... I do little goofy stuff like that, you know? And it just... <laughs> you know what I did? It just kind of... I don't know. It just kind of calmed me down a little bit yeah. and and everything. Well, so, then... um. Six weeks before Boston, I fly to Osaka, Japan for this big 30K road race. So how'd
0: that come about? Did they call you up, call coach? Or?
1: No, I remember coach and I were talking, and I know a number of New Balance athletes, and Bill Rogers had gone over there before and, and ran this race, and so coach and I were talking. He goes, ah, Dickie, you know, six weeks out, it would be a perfect tune-up for boston so the coach contacts the japanese athletic federation and you know they didn't even blink they said oh yeah well we'd love to have him in our race so you know that's a long flight from the east coast all the way to japan uh and i got going over on the flight it took like 18 hours in the air and i got i I started getting sick and i um I get to my hotel and oh, I am I am stuffed up, virus. I'm hacking. Yeah, Yeah. and so they take me out of my room and oh, getting up in the morning to try to go for a little run. I, I shouldn't have, but I did. And I remember trying to get all this crap out of my, my chest. I remember closing the bathroom door and turning on the shower as hot as it would go and fill the room up with steam. And so anyhow, long story short, the race started and they I think I was wearing bib number one even and at about ten K I just could not breathe anymore and I dropped out.
0: It was a thirty K race, which is like eighteen plus miles. Yes. And so you had only gone about a third of the way, but what did they did they diagnose you with pneumonia or what was it? Well Bronchitis? So I
1: drop out and I'm I'm just I'm bummed. I'm six well, weeks you out, bad. you know. And I felt terrible. I fly back, and and uh, and coach has me go right, right away, right to a doctor. And so I go to this doctor, and man, he—they're taking X-rays and stuff. And he goes, "You gotta—you can't even think about running anymore for a while. You've got an enlarged heart." Oh, and Lord. so, so I'm like, "What the heck?" So I call coach. I go, "Coach, I went to this doc. He says I can't run anymore because I've got an enlarged heart." And, and you know how coach, you could yeah. just hear him. Of course, you got a large heart. You're a runner, you know. <laughs> so I love it. They they gave me a, some kind of shot, antibiotic or something. And so, coach, he says you're gonna still keep running, but he says we're only gonna we're only gonna have you run once a day, not twice a day, and no more than ten miles at a at a crack. So I did that for ten days. Started feeling better, and then I, it was about two weeks out. Before Boston, there was a big 10K race in Atlanta called the Heart Trek 10K on a really super hilly course. So I ran that and I ran on a hilly course. I ran 29.12 and and won the race. And Dean Matthews finished second and Benji Durden finished third. I think if you go to and YouTube
0: that- and type in that title, I know I've seen a YouTube video of the race. Some footage of. No, are you
1: kidding me? Yeah, if I'll I find do it, that. I'll
0: put it on our. I'll put. I'll put it on our website. I'll link it in. Yes. Yeah. Please do. There's some great shots of you. You got your gloves on.
1: I remember you were wearing. Oh gloves. yeah, it was chilly that morning.
0: I. It was. I remember. Now, so I remember. Yeah, you know, and so kind of backing up here, I I, I can only imagine when you <laughs> dropped out in Japan, you're flying home, oh. feeling. I you know I've dropped out of a race or two or three in my life and. You beat yourself up. You always kind of feel like it's your own fault. You do. When you're sick or injured, you can only do your best. And you you did your best. It wasn't very good, but that's you can't blame anything. But it is hard not to do that. But then the self-doubt pops in because here you are, right. what, six weeks before Boston. You're thinking, well, yes. I, my Boston... It could be in jeopardy. I'm not going to be as fit because I've got this big, you know, what's a drop in train? You know what, though? Right. Silver lining, dark cloud. Done. I know. We're going to get to that. Done. But before that, there was another yeah. race before. I think, I don't know if you remember. Did you go and do a race like in Tennessee or something?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> tell was, me Tell that was, story. What was that all okay. about? Okay. That was on March 21st. So it was basically one month before the Boston Marathon. So uh, we my, um, we went and visited my sister in North Carolina. And then we thought, well, you know, let's go. We, we're, Mary and I were both country music fans. I still am. And we thought, well, let's go up to Nashville for my birthday. And we'll go to the Grand Ole Opry and stuff. So we get up there and, and I was supposed to do like on this Sunday morning like a hard 12 to 14 mile kind of up-tempo run well I happen to be we were walking around I saw this sign for this race I, I wish I could think of the name of the park but this course it is Hill Lee let me tell you I thought well heck I'll just run that. There's on lots of hills and and there'll be other people there and I'll just wear my training shoes and so I drive there on the morning of the race and I thought, man, I'm, I'm not signing up as me. You know, not that I was a, a super famous runner, but, you know, I was pretty well known amongst the running community. And I thought I didn't want to have any big fanfare or anything like that. So I signed up as Ed Hausman. Well, that was Mary's dad, <laughs> and, and so you from use Bones, a South okay, Dakota. Okay, false name. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, kind of false. I mean, it was it's a, real a real name. Man, and yeah. I, real. I, met, I knew it, obviously.
0: He's a good guy. And
1: so, anyhow, I run this. I think it was like an eleven point something mile on this hilly course, and I and I won it. In fact, the course record. <laughs> I set the course record back then, and it still stands. <laughs> so. I got done, and stupidly, I should have just gotten in my car and it drove black. back to the hotel, but I thought, well, I'll stick around for the awards ceremony. So they're going through the awards, and they go, and the overall winner set in a new course record from Bone Steel, South Dakota, Ed Hausman. <laughs> so I walk up on the stage, <laughs> and there are like two or three people going, Ed Hausman, that's Dick Beardsley. Oh, God. <laughs> God, you talk about being embarrassed. So did it kind of ripple through the crowd or or oh, what? Yes, it rippled through the crowd and, and nobody was upset about it. I mean, and once the cat was out of the bag, I explained why I was doing it and stuff <laughs> and everybody got a pretty good giggle out of
0: it. It's like, I, lo- oh. I love that story because it's kind of like, you know, these movie stars will check into hotels and use fictitious names. So, right. you know, that way the, the people, the work people at the hotel or other guests aren't like clamoring to wait outside their door or something like that.
1: Exactly. So and, Ed, so Ed, Ed's a hell of a runner. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I tell you, thanks for bringing that. Up, done because I kind of forgot about that did, one. Did but... you give Ed his the award after actually, I <laughs> did? I remember I, I did. I remember I got a trophy and I remember giving it to him and stuff. And <laughs> he, to visit it was, of Ed won it, but right. oh yeah, he and Ed was a good guy, he, he got a good kick out of that and stuff. So, so then we went back and and so about 10 days there you go before Boston, coach says, Dickie we're flying you up to Boston. You're going to stay with me. He says, I want to get you on the course in some different areas so I can kind of show you how to run it. Cause I'd never run Boston before. Right. So I fly into um, Boston and coach picks me up and he, I'm going to just stay at his house. So we get to his house that night and he, and you know, back then I was training hard and Bo, the old, the old oven was burning all the time. And so coach goes now, Dickie, you know, if you get hungry, just anything in the fridge is yours. You can you know, just eat what you eat what you find and so I'd say, Oh, thanks, coach. I go to bed that night and about one o'clock in the morning I'm I'm starving. Well beard so, you had a reputation of getting up in the middle of the night
0: and going to get a big of bowl of cereal. Yes. And you
1: would be out there munching cereal and oh, you go back to bed. Right. It, I I was just starving. So I'm about one one thirty, I'm starving. So I get up and I well, Coach, and I could have anything in the fridge. So I opened the refrigerator door. The only thing in there is a half a bottle or a half a jar of pickles. That's it. <laughs> That's the, there wasn't milk. There wasn't cheese. Apple. Nothing. It was a half a gosh dang jar of pickles. So Coach. I ate the whole jar of pickles at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Coach was a bachelor. <laughs> I, I guess. He was. Um, so I go back to bed, and when I got up that that night, that early, early morning, man, the wind was howling. I look out the window and it's like snowing to beat the band. Yeah. So I go back to bed and I wake up the next morning and man, it's still going. They have, they're have they having a nor'easter, one of those infamous blizzards they get out there. And it's, the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour out of the Northwest. The snow and sleet's coming down sideways. And I look out and Coach's car is literally buried under a snow drift. <laughs> So my, my workout that morning was to run Heartbreak Hill up one side, down the other, eight times. Okay. And so coach gets up and he sees the weather. He says, Dickie, there's no way that we can, you know, you can do that workout. I said, coach, I'm doing the workout. And I go, he goes, well, my car is buried. I go, you got a shovel? Yeah. Well, tell me where it is. And I went out and I grabbed the shovel out in this blizzard i'm I'm shoveling out his car so we can get it out under the street so coach and i hop in and coach is just shaking his head like what the heck am i doing with this athlete of mine so we we get about three miles from heartbreak hill and coach can't he can't go anymore there's the between traffic and all the snow and the plows trying to get roads open up i said coach i'll jump out here and i can't even remember where i told him i'd meet him but we met somewhere but so i somehow i slog through the deep snow get over to heartbreak hill and so i started on the back side of it so i'm actually my first time up i'm going the opposite direction of the way you run the marathon and it was blowing and sleeting and ice pellets and snowing so hard done. I had to run with my head down and my eyes shut and I went up that hill down the other side, back up, back down. I did that eight times. Now could I do it the way I wanted to do it? Are you kidding? I'm slogging through two feet of snow, (laughs) but here's that, that whole mental thing. I knew Bill Rogers, was in uh arizona training i knew Celazar and there was rumor at that point that he was running well at that point he already said he was uh was out in oregon training and i thought yeah. Yeah. yeah and i thought nobody is doing what i'm doing this morning and again i couldn't run it like i wanted to but just that getting out there in that blizzard and doing it really was a huge Thing for me to, okay. mentally to get ready for boston
0: well the satisfaction you got from being out there doing it when like you said salazar was running against henry rono a week before boston 10 10, 10 days K before. on the track and so you know he was doing his speed you know that's a pretty good workout <laughs> a week before a marathon to a hard 10k you were slogging up and down heartbreak
1: hill in a blizzard oh yes yeah. and so so done the next morning then uh, or maybe even later that day, coach says, Dickie, we got to get you the H-E-double-L out of here. So they put me on a plane and I flew back to Atlanta. In fact, I know that's what I did because I got back, I flew into Atlanta airport and I thought, well, and I, 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 I went and did a 13-mile run from the airport huh. and um, it felt so good to just have shorts <laughs> and singlet on. And, I was thinking, and, the, and what I, was the weather like in Atlanta? Oh, nice. it was like in the... It was really like seventy, you know, <laughs> and wow. and and done. It was that af- late afternoon, early evening after I did that Heartbreak Hill workout, and I was able to get out of Boston. And I remember I had this, I had this bounce in my step, and I'm thinking, oh dang, and and done. I look back, probably the one of the best things that happened to me was me getting sick over in Japan, Kept having from- to back off my training yeah. for a couple of weeks. Because I think I was right at that edge of going over the top and never coming back. And that way, you and I wouldn't like, have run near as well. Yeah, I, I love that.
0: You know, we always have things happen in our life that we kind of like. Oh, you, you know, it's kind of like at the lived, time you're devastated. You are, you know, and you can't see any positive outcome from this situation. And we can get into that. I mean, in both of our lives, I mean, life stories and stuff like that. Right, stuff that happens, and you go. I can't imagine why this happened to me. Poor, poor, pitiful me. But then down the road somewhere, you have a little new perspective on, on oh. how things actually end up playing out. You know, um, that that is, that's, I just think that's pretty, I like the thought of when you're out there doing something that's a little off the wall and you're going, who else? Who right. else is out here doing, you know, talking about Heartbreak Kill Killbeards, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. I had heard yeah. stories about Heartbreak kill. I, I want your opinion. You know, you hear, well, the famous story is, where was it? Um, uh, Tarzan Brown uh, pulled away from Johnny Kelly and broke his heart yes, on that climb exactly. in 1956. Or so, I can't remember yes. the exact history. And so, you know, it had this reputation of, and, oh, Heartbreak Hill can, can break your race, you know, can break your right. heart. And then I've talked to runners before I went and ran Boston and and they go, geez, I didn't even notice the darn thing. I guess there was a hill, you know, and you go, well, geez, how could you not notice it? And so, I had never been on the course and at least, you know, like you said, you had never been on the course. And so right. I kind of think it was a great idea for you to go out there and at least <laughs> kind of see what it's like, even though it was during a blizzard, but you know, I'm a, I'm going to be honest. I remember in my race, which will, it's a year later, but I ran a 5:56 from 20 to 21. I think heartbreak Hills in that spread. Yes. There. Maybe it's 19 yep. to 20. I can't remember the exact. No, 20, 21. 20 to 21. And, and they, you know, I had a chronograph watch and, uh, you know, when you, they had those mile markers pretty well marked out in Boston. And and I remember I was hurt in unit. I, I, you know, I was running with a friend and he pulled away from me on Heartbreak Hill. It was breaking my heart. I read a few years later, like I think when Greg Meyer or somebody, one of the Boston ran like, and they said, oh, he ran a 506 up Heartbreak Hill. I would just, I would give anything. And, and there's no way of knowing what you and Alberta Salazar probably ran that. 20 to, or, or do you have any concept what's well, what do done. you think about I, know, I
1: kill well I, you know at that point you know in a race you know stepping up on a curb seems like a moat, you know <laughs> when you're bashing your yeah. your way like that but um for me i um it was the crowds when i ran that day were so huge and it was just salazar and i you know and now let me ask back up for a second are we going to be talking like yeah. the whole race next yeah. week's podcast? I guess I
0: jumped in. I kind of, you know, when yeah. you started to talk about Heartbreak Hill, it made me kind of think about that. Just that well, one let, let's, piece of the race. Let's save the race. If,
1: yeah. Yeah, let's save that. Save but I know this. They said from 17 to 21 miles when you make that right-hand turn. So back then, you know, they had records for certain checkpoints segments. from town to town. Yeah. Segments. And I know um, Salazar and I ran that four-mile stretch two minutes faster than anybody had ever run it yeah, before. I think
0: I remember it was in the low seven, you know, like 1730. And so when you yeah, do the math, you know, four was, minute miles would be 16 minutes. Well, obviously right. you're not doing four minute miles, but if you're doing 430 miles, we were well, hauling. that would be 18 minutes. And yeah, I it was know 18 you guys something. did sub 18. And so for that stretch, yeah. there was some flat and there might've been some little right. down in there.
1: Oh yeah. But there was also quite a every bit hill you of a series. Up. Yeah. Oh, See, yeah. Every hill you went up, there was a little downhill on the back side. Yeah, yeah. But the, done. I mean, and we'll get into that we next week when we, we go into Boston. But I got to back up a little bit. So mm. when Coach had me, you know, um, out on the course, and I came back up to Boston, you know, a, about a week before the race itself, and the weather was better then. And so Coach, he had me run running different segments. And I remember, I can't remember what mile point. It was before halfway, and – And we're on a kind of going down a slight hill and coach pulls his car over and he goes now Dickie and he he, he has a tennis ball in his hand and he he opens his his car door and he drops it and it starts rolling down the hill. He goes you follow that tennis ball right now exactly how it goes down this hill and on race day that's the exact uh, way I want you to run this segment of the of the course. So of course I did that,
0: so and taking
1: I, advantage of the
0: best possible yes, content.
1: yeah, huh. and I'll never forget that that you know you, you know, know Coach was well you knew Coach yeah. he was a little off the wall just like me so that's why we got to get along so well
0: you know kind of we've got a few extra minutes and we're gonna save Boston that's gonna be our next podcast but you know Coach Squires I I have a personal uh, story about Coach he uh, after Boston and and I can't remember how it came about, but I was in, in, uh, in Rapid City, uh, teaching right. in 1984 and the Black Hills Marathon. And I was fortunate enough to have won that race twice and they wanted to bring in a guest speaker and, and you weren't available. I think you, I had to talk to you yes. and in your schedule, or it was just, it was not, it was, it wasn't possible. And, no. and I said, and I, I don't know if you brought it up or I said, well, I wonder if coach Squires and you go, oh heck, let me check with him. And, and so I was kind of like on the race committee, helping out, just doing stuff. And, and I said, well, they go, yeah, see if you can get him. And I said, coach, and I don't know how, and he said, sure. And we paid him a thousand bucks. I remember. And and I, you know, coach didn't take a dime for coaching. No, that's his you know, when you think of that, the athletes, he coached Bill Rogers yourself. He helped with Salazar when he was young, Greg, Meyer, Greg Meyer, all of these guys, you know, you have a, a lot of agents and coaches now, or it's like 10, 15, 20% oh, or, or that's who their living coach. Right. Like he was back in the old school. It was amateur as a runner. He had to maintain his amateur status. And as a coach, he couldn't take a salary or he'd give up his amateur status. Believe it or not. Right. Jay Dirksen had to deal with that early in his running, uh, ch- coaching career. Lucky the rules have all changed since then. So Coach Squires, we flew him into Rapid City, South Dakota, and and I to save money, <laughs> I said, "Well, I'll host him. I'll host him." And Karen and I and our our daughters were like four, five, and two. Oh, there you. And we yeah. took him up to Nemo. And Dick, you've been to Nemo. It's a guest ranch oh, for sure. We, we lived up there in a in an old house. And Coach spent the the day with us. He and I went out for a run. And I tell you, the guy pulled out. He go, I go coach do you want to go for a run he goes oh sure sure mike and he he start, He goes he, he, i don't know if he even brought he finally found a <laughs> pair of shoes in his luggage these suckers <laughs> were tore up wore out i almost That's like coach if he would have wore my size shoe i would have gave him a pair of mine to wear they were terrible and we, he goes, well, he goes, I'm not used to, them. I lived at about 5,400 feet elevation. He was coming from Boston. So he said, "Right, you're going to have to take it easy on me. And so I said, oh, coach, we, we did like a three mile run through the woods, you know, a loop. And um, that night, I remember um, we had roast beef. I, you know, I didn't have a lot of money in those days. I was teaching school. Right. But we have a guest, a, a friend, your coach, and, and, you know, kind of famous guy. And I told Karen, you know, buy, get something good, you know, until so she made us a yeah. roast beef. And um, we ate that roast beef and the next day was a 10 K like the day before the marathon and the day he spoke at the spaghetti feed and all this stuff. And I ran the 10 K and ran terrible. I don't, I remember I, I, I just did, I felt terrible from the start. and It was one of those days where I didn't have it. And, and coach afterwards, I was kind of embarrassed because I wanted to impress (laughs) coach Squires and he goes, Mike, he said, your mistake was you ate that damn roast beef supper. The night before, he goes, "You had to digest that food all night long." He said, "You might as well have went out and did an eight mile run last night." And I remember he was serious, and, and, I he, bet and he, was. he was kind of like trying to help me out. But you know, Coach was—he was telling it the way it was. You know, he he would have preferred I would have ate some spaghetti or pasta. But, sure. But since Karen had made this meal and I sat down, I was eating it with him, and I Heck always yeah. you know he was—he kind of got on me, but he meant it in a good way. And in a good way. In a way, good way. And then, as he left, you know, Coach, he uh, he left me. Um, I still have it. It's like a uh, um, a, a handkerchief that says "1983 Helsinki World Championship." It's like a little. He picks up souvenirs. Oh, he does. And then he or gives he did. Him away yes. his gifts.
1: And he yes. signed it.
0: I think he signed it like a napkin. You know, I'm and he, sure and he I did. It. And I still have this stuff. I should take some photos of it. Oh my god! And that was just his just a loving guy. He'd give you the shirt off oh, his back, but he, he wanted would. to leave something, a tangible piece of something yeah. that he was
1: there. And so that was pretty cool. You know, all the people around over the years, yeah. when over the years done coach, um, you know, even after I was all done with running, you know, at that high level and stuff, coach, he, anything about fishing, hunting, milking cows and running, you know, he was a, he was a, uh, avid reader of As newspapers students, yeah. and he, Yeah, and he'd cut these little articles out, and then he just when when the Manila envelope filled up, he'd he'd send it to me. Well, when we were living in the cabin, remember Sam and Spike? Of course, the dogs. The the dogs, yeah. Well, Coach loved them. Well, they, you know, this is like this is like years after the two dogs are in you know doggy heaven, and Coach would always. He'd send that Manila package, and on the outside he'd go, "Hey, make sure you pet Spike and Sam for me." <laughs> <laughs> it's like twelve years after they died. Oh yeah, <laughs> but no, Coach was—I tell you—and you know, as, a little over a year ago, you know, he huh. passed away, and and uh, I went out. I, you know, I—I I, I mean, I thought I'm not—I'm—I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to miss his funeral. I oh. mean, I. I don't care what it costs. I mean, he did so much for me in my running career. And so I I remember flying out there and I didn't even tell anybody I was coming. I just, I got an Uber and I, I I knew where the, he was, the, uh, the funeral was going to be what church had. And I stayed in a cheap hotel and I remember walking in there and I saw Fred Doyle was a good friend of coach uh, Squires and stuff. And and gosh, it was like a who's who of runners that oh. were there, and the, the stories.
0: Um, you know, whenever the Bill, the you know, Coach Squire stories, nobody can mention. It. Everybody starts smiling and laughing, and you know what a what a endearing legacy. You know, oh. the runners, the the teams, but just you know the experiences
1: that you know. Yeah. He, he turned
0: a lot of young boys into
1: young he, men. He, he did. He was he was one of a kind person, and he he. <laughs> He was like just a couple of months short of his 90th birthday well, when he passed away. We had
0: him at the running camp, and we'll get into that in one of these episodes yes. that did right. put on a running a, a marathon running camp. And it was a awesome. It was so much fun. And and he, he brought in a coaching staff of just some really And Dunn was part of the coaching I was staff part of that it. we had. It was had. such an honor. And, and we'd bring in a celebrity and and, and Frank Shorter and Joan Benoit. And we got to meet all these Don Carter, Bill Rogers. And, and Coach Squires is there. And I always remember somebody asked him about oh. a day off. He goes, day <laughs> off, day on. He's like, yes. there ain't oh. no days off. And, oh, and I just remembered that. And, and everybody started laughing because and coach oh, had fire in his eyes when he said it. He it did. Day you know, uh,
1: yeah. of all the people we we used to bring in to the Beardsley races in Detroit Lakes, and we had, and they were all wonderful. But there was something about coach that just captured oh, the spirit authentic. of. Uh, of running, he was authentic. And our campers, I think if you if you pulled every camper of all the great people we had come and talk to the campers, Coach Squires would have been voted number one. I know
0: he did intervals with his team, a lot of mile repeats and stuff, and they they were whining to him one time about how short the rest periods were. Like, you know, you do a, a 430 mile, and he'd give them like 30 to 60 seconds to right. do another one. And and they were kind of whining about it, and he kind of said, What? in the middle of the race, you're going to pull out a, a folding chair and sit down and have a popsicle or <laughs> so. You come up with these like crazy like scenarios. <laughs> Cause in a race, oh. you ain't going to get any recovery time. And so you better just learn to use, you know, you're going to have to toughen up. And, uh, and that's a good coach. Oh. You know, coaches love their athletes. But boy, they got a tough love them too because if you just kind of yes, you know it's it's a it's a delicate balance and the athletes respect that they really do they really respect yeah it. well no beards, it was that um... is that that's uh, I'm, I'm kind of I'm getting goosebumps thinking here because I'm already anticipating next time we get together it's going to be the beards I want to hear Boston April nineteenth nineteen eighty two yes the alarm clock goes off no probably when did you get into Boston where did you stay. What was the media oh, we'll like? I know that. there's
1: some great stories there. Yes, and we'll get to them. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll get to them next week. And and uh, Don, I got to go back to the doctor, but it's hopefully <laughs> good news. Please this do, time.
0: please do, because if you're not here next <laughs> week, it's not going to be. It's going to be ugly. It's
1: going to oh. be. <laughs> and we want to thank everybody for listening. And if you have any questions for Dunn and myself, or comments about our show, you can sure contact us directly here at our website beardsanddunnpod.com or you can leave us a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, or X, which formerly is Twitter, all at Beards and Dunn Pod. Of course, so do that. I
0: I like YouTube because that way you can see our beautiful faces and how serious we are about all of this stuff. <laughs> if you go to YouTube, you can always hit the comment and give us a, some feedback or something you'd like us to visit about. If you enjoy the podcast and interested in supporting us, we've got some merchandise. In fact, Beards, I haven't even showed you this. No, um, look at this. Nice. I, they peel oh. off, and like I've got them on all my coffee mugs, all my car travel. Coffee oh my mugs gosh! I'll send you okay. some. Okay.
1: Yeah. I'll send I gotta you get some, some real soon.
0: Beards, have a great day. Have a good luck fishing, and You're, say hi to the doc. Yeah. <laughs>
1: all right. Have a great weekend, Mikey. Bye bye. See you soon.